Hello and welcome in to another edition of Pacific Post-Ups. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Boylan. It's uh, after the trade deadline now. The chaos has subsided. Nick, how have you been in the uh, the days following the trade deadline? Yeah, pretty good, uh, Lou. Uh, thanks. Um, it's always a bit interesting, I think, with our, with our time difference. Like, I, I try to stay up as long as I could um, to try to, to see if there was any major tidbits that were going to go down. But, yeah, waking up to everything that happened, uh, probably not as – maybe not as eventful as probably some people might have expected, um, partic- particularly with Lowry not going uh, – Depot going very late – uh, whether whether that move was going to happen or not, lots of little sort of smaller ones, smaller moves that are definitely going to help contenders and, and help out some roster spots in terms of what teams want to do going forward. But I don't know. I think in terms of the trade deadline, we might talk talk it up as something that you know there's going to be a lot of big moves on offer, but that wasn't really the go this year. Yeah, and I think specifically as it relates to the Pacific Division, um, there really wasn't a ton that uh, was dramatic compared to perhaps what happened uh, what happened out east for a few of the contenders. Um, there are a few little moves around the fringes and obviously uh, one notable buyout uh, addition already. Uh, I guess uh, moving into the, uh, the buyout and the trades, uh, did you have a specific uh, transaction that uh, caught your attention this week to get things going? Well, I, I think the one that it was important to, to start off with was one that we talked about a lot on the podcast for the last few weeks, which was discussing the Clippers needing a playmaker. And they certainly got one, but it wasn't the guy who I probably thought that they were going to get. Um, obviously getting uh, Rajon Rondo um, in exchange for Lou Williams going back uh, to Atlanta um, and a couple of second rounders. It was really interesting because Rondo wasn't really a name that got sort of moved around a lot. Obviously, the Hawks are probably... You know, still wanting to to kick on, and he was someone who you know gives them a bit of experience, um, which is something that they don't have on a very young team uh, for the most part. So that that one was a little bit of left field. Um, probably not the guy who I know we talked a lot about George Hill going there, um, but he ended up going to Philly. But um, yeah, I mean Rondo um, for the Clippers is a move I don't mind at all. Uh, however. It, it doesn't really give them. I don't know. I, I would have liked to see someone who could probably knock down a three a little bit more consistently. In saying that, like Rondo's three point shot is not the joke that it um, probably used to be. It's steadily got better uh, over time. Uh, it, what is he like 30, 37% this year? That's only on sort of like half an attempt or one attempt per game. So it's not like he's out there splashing him home or anything like that. But he's definitely not someone that you're you're probably as content to leave open um, as you might have done um, back when you was playing for Boston. But yeah, it, it's an interesting move. How did you see, uh, how do you see Rondo fitting in to uh, the other side of Staples Center? Yeah, so I think uh, where this move makes the most sense for the Clippers, um, and initially I, I gawked a little bit, and then I, since I've had the dust has settled, I actually think I like the move for the Clippers. Um, I think a lot of what matters here is Rajon Rondo have the respect of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, and I think chemistry is is such a important dynamic in that Clippers locker room um, that perhaps going for, not, not that uh, George Hill wouldn't have, um, but uh, I think going for someone that's, you know, been a championship point guard multiple times now. Um, you know, you listen to guys that have played with him around the league and whilst he has bumped heads here or there, uh, generally, he's respected uh, to the highest degree, particularly as someone that understands the game. So I think the fact that uh, Kawhi and Paul George, I'm assuming, uh, hold Rondo in high regard is uh, you know, quite important. Um, and you do make a good point. He's probably not as bad of a three-point shooter as what you know he used to be back in his, uh, back in his Celtics days. Um, but at, at the end of the day, what I think is most important about it is actually uh, moving Lou Williams off the roster for yeah. the playoffs. Um, Lou Williams obviously been a fantastic clipper uh, and, you know, he's a really good regular season contributor. But I feel like uh, Doc Rivers, when he was there, and now Ty Lua felt obligated to play him in some situations that they shouldn't. And he's just not all that playable in the playoffs. So 
I think the fact that you've got a guy that can hold up defensively, we saw him turn it on the stretches last year for the Lakers in the bubble. Um, you know, get them into their offensive sets and more than anything, just lead what is a group that doesn't really have a spiritual leader um, is the most important part of this acquisition. Yeah, I, I think going back to sort of what you said about him changing things around in the playoffs for the Lakers, it's not something that he'll often, he doesn't need to have like a quick, like 10 point scoring burst to really change a game. We saw a variety of times um, through the playoffs that, you know, it might just be a key pass somewhere and then following up that possession with a steal that leads to a bucket, getting out himself and cutting inside for a layup. He might've only scored one bucket and had like one steal and one assist, but it completely flipped the script for what the Lakers were trying to do. And his impact minutes um, were really important to, to that championship run. So I do think that, you know, if, you, if you're sort of tossing up, well, who's more likely to to close a game with the Clippers out of Rondo and Lou? Will, you're going to say Rondo. So it, it, I think it'll be interesting to sort of see how he assimilates into the Clippers, uh, exactly how, how many minutes that he might be getting. And yeah, just, just how that looks. I, I, that wasn't one that I'd considered because I didn't think that um, he was on the move. But now that, yeah, as you said, the dust has settled a little bit. I'm a fan of this one. Yeah, and I think the cost was minimal. Um, the main thing was they didn't really give up any of their young guys because um, I think when Kawhi Leonard decides if he wants to put pen to paper um, for the Clippers again in the offseason, you know, giving up too many young guys might work into his uh, equation because he obviously wants to be able to contend with his team moving forward. So it was really the cost of a couple of those second-round picks um, and uh, and some cash considerations and, you know, Steve Barber's not short of cash. Um, so I certainly think that was a worthwhile move. I'm glad they did something. Um, I would have, I felt like something was just been missing with them. Uh, now, he hasn't obviously played. He's been rehabbing back from an injury. Um, so he wasn't part of that horrific loss to, uh, to the Magic the other day. Mm. Um, but I, I don't expect to see a ton of him throughout the remainder of the regular season. I think if the Clippers are smart, they'll just work with him on making sure that he's healthy coming into the postseason where playoff Rondo traditionally does do his, uh, his best work. I think, yeah, that's um, postseason is really where he's going to thrive there. You'll get, I think we'll see him in drips and drabs towards the back end of this season, just to get a bit of a feel um, playing with some different kind of players, seeing how I think particularly how the Clippers will close things out. Um, in fourth quarters, how that lineup will look on the court um, with Rondo in there, just to get a feel for that. Hopefully a couple of close games that potentially won't impact them in the standings too much. They'd love like a free hit at some clutch situations with Rondo playing. Um, But yeah, um, he's going to be massive for him in the postseason. It's a a very shrewd acquisition uh, by the Clippers. Yeah, and obviously, you know, he is still one of the best passers in the the league. And it's, you know, his statistics don't just end uh, on you know what you see in the box score, um, he de- he generally does make guys around him better, um, and you know it might be handy for a young guy, a young pick and roll player like Zubac to be able to play alongside him in some selective minutes. Um, I'm sure he'll get some pick and pop chemistry developing with Serge Ibaka as well, um, and you know having these other looks to throw at opposition, so it isn't just. Kawhi Leonard ISO, you know, play after play after play or Paul George running around off, you know, two pin downs. Um, you know, it's important, you know, just to keep the defense honest, I think. So I beat, I thought that acquisition, some people were, you know, initially kind of gawked at it. Um, I think given what they gave up, it's worthwhile. And I'm glad to see they were willing to make a move um, to, you know, maybe refresh things uh, in both on the court and in the locker room for this Clippers team that still just feels like they can't quite find the sixth gear. I think I think particularly in that game against Orlando, I, I feel like although there's been some good performances from the Clippers this year, it still feels like that the general consensus around this team is they're a pr- pretty good regular season team, but there's other teams that people are going to pick over them in the playoffs, um, particularly who's across the hallway, regardless of what what their health status is with a lot of their key players, that you're going to probably take the Lakers over them. You know, you, you'd be tempted to pick... Phoenix and Utah over them just due to, I, don't know, I think, their, their togetherness at a team, as a team, sorry. Uh, so that that's going to be a really interesting thing. And as you said, Rondo, as a not only a galvanizing 
figure on the court, but off the court to see if they can get something going in this locker room. You know, they've got a couple of younger players who should be bringing some youthful energy to that side, uh, particularly Terrence Mann, who's been fantastic. It's just, yeah, they, they I'm still not sold on the Clippers yet, and it, I, I may not be um, for a little bit. Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm sold on very little out west at the moment. I, you know, obviously uh, working health into the equation for the Lakers, um, I, I, there's, there isn't really a team that I'm 100% confident is definitely getting to the conference finals, um, which, you know, earlier in the year, I was quite confident of the Lakers, uh, fairly confident with the Clippers. But, you know, I'm not sure that there's any guarantee that, um, that Anthony Davis is definitely going to be healthy given the the location of his injury um so i think the west is is certainly wide open and i'm looking forward to seeing how these teams kind of match up um in the playoffs mm. and also, I guess just lastly yeah. on the clippers as well Lou, i forgot to to mention that they are picking up someone else at least on a 10-day contract and it's looking like they're going to be signing demarcus cousins as a, a third big man uh now that demarcus is this this all mean that he's played for every single team in california um, how do you how do you see that fit going in there? Obviously, they're pretty set in terms of their big guys uh, with Zubats and Abaka um, really being the two. Um, how do you think Boogie fits in as a third guy or a third big in Clipperland? Yeah, I think the only reason you sign Boogie at this point um, is for some you know kind of insurance. He could play the stretch big role if Abaka hurts himself in the playoffs. Um, obviously he doesn't have much juice as a defender, but he is a capable post defender. Um, so it might give you a look to throw at Jokic. We know how much the Clippers struggled with Jokic last year. They're okay with minutes when Zubac was on the floor, but you know, Abaka's not really going to be able to hold Jokic down. Um, and Zubac only has six fouls. So it gives you an extra look for Jokic. If they were to go the whole way and meet Philly um, in the finals, it gives you an extra kind of, guy that can bang with Embiid for a little bit, but I wouldn't be planning on playing Cousins big minutes. Um, I would look at him as, you know, insurance uh, for a potential injury to a Barker um, or to Zubac in really the Joakim Noah role from last year. What did you think of it, Nick? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he's really playing above 10 to 12 minutes a night um, for this Clippers side. I'd, Zubats is still a player I think is supremely underrated. Um, I, I like him a lot. And uh, what Abaka brings is a more reliable kind of version of what Cousins can do to a degree. I know he's a bit shorter, and but I, I, I still think his reliability is a little bit better. Um, Boogie hasn't looked... I mean, his shooting splits haven't been fantastic um, when in the in the time that he, ha- he has played uh, for Houston this year. So it's, it's, it's been a tricky one because that, that Rockets team, how they started out um, obviously with Harden, like sort of in and out, what was going on there. Um, obviously with the, the sheer amount of like losses that they've piled up now, it's, they've been a hard team to sort of gauge and particularly with Cousins sort of making a bit of a comeback. Um, but no, like he's played like some pretty okay minutes from when he has played. I mean, he only did start eleven games and he's played twenty five games in total. But yeah, the shooting splits of you know thirty three point uh, six from downtown, thirty seven point six percent from the field is pretty it's pretty bad as a big dude. So although I think that he probably you know sort of like the last time that we kind of saw him at least properly um, a little bit was in you know some spits and spats for the Warriors in their last season with KD there. Bits and pieces that you saw out of him there weren't terrible, but at this stage of his career, it's just like, um, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if you're getting more than 12 minutes out of him. But, you know, as as a third big guy, there's plenty of worse options you could have than DeMarcus. Yeah, and that's if that's what he's being signed as, which I'm assuming bringing him in on a 10-day kind of indicates that, um, then I'm all for it. Um, it's just a third big guy. I think in Houston, he looked like a, a stretch big that you're happy to give the three ball to, um, which isn't really a look you want to see in the playoffs too much. If the opposition's happy for you to take it, it probably means you shouldn't be having it too often. Um, I'd almost prefer if they're, if they're struggling to find the answers they need with um, Serge Barker or Zubac, who, and I totally agree with you, Zubac is really underrated, then I'd almost prefer they maybe have a look at those Marcus Morris at the five lineups. Yeah. Um, 
and get really just use Boogie selectively if he's still on the roster. Um, you know, considering both health and form uh, come the pointy end of the season for the Clippers. So we'll keep an eye on that one um, and see what happens with that with that moving forward. Uh, speaking of um, former all-star big men playing in LA, being picked up off the scrap heap, um, there's been another big addition. Uh, much has been made of uh, Andre Drummond to the Lakers. Uh, what do you think, Nick? We've discussed it a little bit before. Uh, we saw his first hit out today. What do you make of this, and how do you think it affects the postseason? Well, yeah, as, as you said, it was, it's was it been on the cards for a little bit. Um, it was, you know, talk that Brooklyn were leading the way at one stage, but it became very clear that Drummond was going to sign for the Lakers, and particularly for a team that's, you know, struggling body-wise at the moment, particularly in the front court, um, obviously with LeBron and AD out for um, a fair chunk of time now. It's... It gives him a, a, definitely a very different look. Um, and yeah, he had his debut performance uh, today uh, or, or last night um, for our stateside folks. Um, I watched it. I was very intrigued to see how it would go, um, particularly, you know, with a, a, a barn-burning ESPN advertisement of Giannis versus Schroeder. And it's like, well, that's probably not what they had planned uh, when they yeah. um, had this matchup uh, um, teed up during the season. But yeah, it, it was really interesting to see Drummond in this state, particularly because of what he was doing tonight and the, then the role he would have, you suspect is going to be very different to when Davis and LeBron are both back playing. Um, the, the, early, the early run he had, I didn't think looked too bad at all. Played, I think, six minutes or so. Um, before he got subbed out, um, he did flub an alley hoop on his first touch, which was um, got Twitter blowing up a little bit. Um, and you know, a lot of the people you know, uh, comparing that to to Aldridge and all that sort of stuff with the buyout guys. Um, but yeah, after that, I mean, you know, didn't look terrible. They gave uh, they got the ball to him a, a few times um, in that first little run. Um, he did look a little bit out of sorts when it came to certain. Uh, the offensive sets and in, in terms of where he needed to be, which is to be expected. And yeah, so he played 14 minutes for four points on two of six shooting. He only had the one rebound, which is probably a little bit uh, eyebrow raising considering that's kind of why the Lakers need him. Uh, a couple of assists and then added three turnovers and four fouls before he exited the game with a toe injury. Apparently he might've ripped his toenail off, which is not comfortable at all. Uh, he tried to, he got treatment done uh, at the start of the second half tried to go out and give it another run, but uh, it was in a visible amount of pain and uh, took himself out. And that was that for his um, roller coaster of a debut. Uh, you know, he's someone who hasn't played since the 12th of February. Um, the guy, the guys uh, on the, on the broadcast said that, you know, apparently he was getting himself in the best shape of his life. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that um, because it, it, it's, it, it's, Balancing conditioning with like simple, you know, it's all well and good running around and doing, you know, workouts and stuff in the gym, but actually running out in an NBA game is, you know, very different, obviously, um, that that balance between the two. So just like having a little bit of rust, um, obviously, on his frame uh, was going to be expected. And it certainly did look like it at a few stages. But yeah, I, 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 everyone was slamming him for his performance, but I didn't think it was as disastrous as probably some people expected. And as I said, he probably got a few more touches than he would expect to get uh, when Davis and LeBron is out. So it, it, LeBron have been out. So how he fits into things is, is really hard to gauge while those two guys aren't playing. Yeah, look, I'm not reading, uh, reading into the first performance too much today. At the end of the day, he was bought there, um, and I'm sure one of the biggest pitching appeals uh, when he was sitting there in the room with Rob Palenka was you get to play with LeBron James. He's going to help to rehabilitate your value in this league. Um, so I'm not too concerned about minutes played in a, in a game that they pretty much already decided they'd lost to Milwaukee before they'd even run out there today. Um, the conditioning thing poses an interesting question because – I do think he's been playing a little heavy the last couple of years. Um, if you've kind of watched Drummond closely, he used to be able to really get up there and catch lobs, and it's not that he can't catch a lob now. Um, but he certainly doesn't have that athletic pop that perhaps mm. he used to have. Um, and I've wondered whether that's just injuries and 
bit of wear and tear and a bit of aging or whether it's he, you know, decided to become this heavier post player almost and that took away, um, you know, his extra kind of pep in his step. And we saw with Dwight, funnily enough, when he lost uh, a lot of that weight, and to be honest, most of that was muscle, but uh, before his season with the Lakers, he looked far more athletic again um, than the uh, the bulkier version we saw of him on the Wizards or the Hornets. Um, so I, I do wonder if perhaps shedding a few kilos is in Andre Drummond's best interest. Um, but yeah, he did look a little rusty today. Nothing to read into that. Uh, I guess my question for you is, assuming we're going to see a lot more AD at the five in uh, the playoffs, uh, if you've only got room for one other centre to play consistent minutes, would you have uh, Drummond? Would you have Harrell? Or would you have Mark Gasol? I think it's Gasol. Uh, I What he's able to do uh, in terms of probably he's the guy for one is probably the most effective without the ball in his hand um, compared to Harrell and Drummond. Uh, I think that his expertise as well in the postseason is uh, much better than both of those players combined and spaces the floor can handle the ball and, you know, run a little bit of the offense is still not the his lateral quickness has definitely dissipated. That's been obvious, but he's still a very smart defender. And he's probably the player who I would trust the most out of those three guys to be out on the court. I, yeah, as I said, they're still going to be uh, Davis Clovis, best chance and most effective chance of winning a basketball game. But um, out of the three guys, I think I would go Gasol, which makes it interesting. So I, I think the interesting situation to monitor has been. Gasol's reaction um, after the Drummond signing uh, or lack thereof, particularly because he's not really talking to the media and is ducking a little bit. So uh, the Lakers aren't really in a position where, you know, the whole buyout thing's been bandied about. I don't think that'll happen because they don't, the Lakers don't really have any financial power and access to both Harrell or Drummond next year. So they don't need to keep him around. And I, I yeah I, I just think he's the he's the best fit um, for them at the moment. He's the guy who's going to you trust the most to get minutes wise um, at the back end of a, a game and in the postseason. He's someone who is probably one thing these days um, with LeBron having an extra floor space will make the smart pass and the smart decision. Um, it's probably it's probably days, but he's still a really smart defender and been a major reason why the Lakers defense has been so good this season. So I know he, he, he's not the he's not the sexy guy on the court in terms of what he'll do. You know, Harrell's going to do a few more explosive things. Drummond's might have some better numbers in terms of, you know, 15 rebounds or something like that in a game and he's that kind of player. But I think the, Gasol is the guy for the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, and I agree. Um, you know, they've got to have an eye on the now right now. And while Drummond uh, and Harold are a little younger, um, Gasol is probably the one that you trust the most in the playoffs. And, and we know with LeBron teams that who LeBron trusts is such an important part of who gets out there when it really matters. Um, I think when you want to go a little smaller, you have the AD at the five lineups. And then Gasol gives you a little girth um, to take on your, your Jokic's uh, and your Embiid's uh, of the world. So I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think we saw what happened last year with Harold um, in important postseason matchups. Um, and if you really want to stretch it out, you can always take a look at, you know, some lineups where you've got someone like Markeith Morris playing the five. Uh, they had some success with that in the playoffs last year. So I, mm. I, uh, I'd be interested to see what happens with Frank Vogel's rotation as we get to the pointy end of the year. Um, just on the Lakers at the trade deadline, uh, they were linked quite closely to Kyle Lowry um, with Dennis Schroeder making up the main part of that salary. Um, Brian Windhorst has since reported that Schroeder has turned down a four-year $84 million extension from the Lakers. Um, but apparently Frank Vogel didn't want to part ways with Talon Horton Tucker. Do you think that's a mistake? Uh, do you think that's the right thing for the Lakers' future? What did you make of that move? And, how do you think that will play out over the coming kind of 18 months, two years? Look, I've 
enjoyed the rise of THT as much as the next person, but both the Lakers fans and now the Lakers front office is like love for this young player. I think is incredibly misguided um, in terms of championship aspirations for this season, which is what you want to do. I think we've, we've talked about it that, you know, you, you can look at getting young players and holding on to picks all you want. You're trying to win a ring and you're trying to go back to back in the Lakers case. As you said, the West is wide open at the moment, particularly with the Lakers injuries. You don't know how the lineup's going to look. And like, it kind of boils down to is just like, are you giving playoff minutes to Kyle Lowry or Taylor Horton Tucker? I mean, that, that's not really a conversation that we should be having, but apparently it's one that the Lakers had. So uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's, it, it's just a, a little bit too much focused on the future when they're a team that doesn't really need to do that. They can kind of, you know, as long as LeBron's there, they're going to have a crack. So anytime you're maximizing that, I think is the right move to do. So if, if Larry was that close and that was the hurdle, it could come back to bite the Lakers. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, if Schroeder isn't interested in a four-year $84 million extension, and he knows he's been part of trade talks, um, there's every chance that he could potentially walk in the offseason or they could have to egregiously overpay him because um, there's no real way of replacing him. Um, so I think that if, if all the reporting is correct that, THT was the sticking point there. I think that's a mistake. I think you've got to maximize LeBron while you've got him. We're seeing this year more than ever that, you know, Anthony Davis's health isn't guaranteed. So while you've got him in his, you know, absolute uh, absolute prime of his career, you may as well make the most of it. Um, and I think that might have been a bit of a mistake had the, uh, had the like, you know, had that been the option and if it was just down to Taylor Horton Tucker, um, then I think uh, they've certainly missed out there. Moving, uh, moving to the valley of the of the Phoenix Suns, um, they stayed fairly quiet at the deadline, uh, and I think we discussed last time we spoke that that's probably the right thing for them to do. Um, they've been looking fantastic. Devin Booker's been looking every bit, uh, you know, the All NBA player that Phoenix fans have been saying for years that he is. Uh, what do you think the Phoenix Suns have got in their uh, in their future here, as far as shaping up for what will be a postseason run? Yeah, as you said, Lou, I think they did the right thing by standing pat at the deadline, and you know, don't mess with a good thing. Um, you know, it's not just a starting five that's done well for them; it's a reserve unit that's featured a lot of unheralded performances from the likes of Dario Saric, Campaign, Abdul Nader's been injured at the moment, but he's also been showing some things uh, through the season, and they, you know, they did make a little bit of a move just sort of before the deadline uh, chaos started. And that was, you know, getting Tory Craig across. And I, I think that he's slotted in really well in the games that he's played, you know, six, six games in already. Um, he's playing 16 minutes a night, sort of uh, filling Abdul Nader's role. And he's added, you know, almost eight points a game, 4.3 boards, half a steal. He's shooting 54% from the field and 38 and percent from deep only on a couple of attempts per game. He's not a guy who's going to have a lot of shots, but in terms of a guy who is going to give you something on the defensive end, um, he's versatile in that regard, can hit the open three when he needs to. Uh, I Yeah, I've always been a big fan of Torrey Craig, um, probably because if, you know, did play in the NBL, uh, ex-Brisbane uh, Bullets and uh, Cairns Taipans man. Um, but yeah, I think he's pretty damn solid and it was a really sort of like underrated pickup obviously before you know all the the big moves started to get done closer to the deadline um he's someone who slots into this phoenix uh, reserve unit really nicely someone who you could probably trust in the postseason unless you're trying to protect a lead and then you're needing someone to hold onto the ball rather than go for a layup um but yeah i i, I like it and this, this this phoenix squad knows who it is that that's what their trade deadline activity or lack thereof shows and they're backing themselves in that this is a, a team good enough to beat anyone. And it's, you know, um, it's so far in terms of the eye test that, that they've done that. Firstly, I, I hope our listeners appreciated your little uh, layup joke there. I thought that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's been, uh, he's been really good. Um, and I think we've, we've discussed it before and we'll keep hitting on it again. The Suns don't need to take a big swing. They took a big swing in the offseason when they traded for Chris Paul. Um, 
I think they're in a really good spot right now to contend. Um, and, you know, health might even be one of the biggest factors. If they can stay healthy, there's no guarantee that the Lakers and the Clippers uh, stay healthy and then any other team is fair game as far as I'm concerned. Um, they've been on a tear since the All-Star game now, really, other than uh, losing uh, on a you know final play shot by uh, Evan Fournier when he was last in a Magic uniform. Um, they've been looking really good. Devin Booker put up 45 the other day, which is absurd. And guys like Tory Craig are just a perfect complement for Devin Booker, which are defenders, guys that can hit an open three, and they're just they've got so many of them. When you put you know Jay Crowder, Tory Craig, my, uh, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, the list just keeps going. Uh, Abdul Nader, um, you know they say you can never have too many three and D guys, and the Phoenix Suns truly do have a you know, extreme amount of depth of them, uh, which I think will will come in handy. So I think they're uh, they're in a really good spot. Um, now you were you were saying to me before we uh, started recording that you uh, you potentially have a, a buyout kind of candidate in mind for the Phoenix Suns to improve around the fringes. Who do you like the look of that uh, you think might still get bought out here? Well, we did talk about on the last podcast that if they did need to plug a hole, it'd probably be getting another big guy just for an insurance policy. You know, getting another big body that, you know, to to spot DeAndre Ayton and a bit more of an insurance for those Sarich minutes at the five. Um, you know, if they're still looking at, at big guys, you know, Hassan Whiteside was still a name that got bandied about. He's, you know, still someone who could uh, end up on a roster like Phoenix's. Uh, then the other one's Kelly Olenek, who got traded to uh, Houston. And that's potentially a move that could be okay. Uh, you know, someone who can space the floor a little bit more, definitely more than Whiteside can, um, and, you know, score a little bit. You know, we saw that, you know, for the Heat in the postseason last year, he's not someone who's going to play a hell of a lot, but can come in and change the game around with his shooting a little bit and at least get give you some extra fouls, give you some extra minutes um, at the five if that's the way that you want to go. Um, Lou, how do you reckon, like, you know, if, you, if you're Phoenix, would you be looking at adding a guy like Olenek or maybe looking at a guy like Whiteside? Yeah, um, I think Olympics the one probably worth discussing here. There's a couple of things with Whiteside. One, Sacramento have been on a bit of a tear now since the All-Star break. Um, and, you know, are potentially having a sniff around that playing game now. Um, Monty McNair, their GM, came out uh, earlier in the week and discussed the fact that they're, you know, they look to uh, be a value-adding team at the deadline. Um so I certainly don't think uh, they will buy out Whiteside, even if they should. Um, I think they're going to hold Pat there um, until maybe things become very close down the wire and they realise they can't make the playoffs. I do like the uh, the idea of Linux being bought out by Houston. Um, we know Houston's owner will do anything to save a buck. Um, and a Linux contract is, you know, not cheap for what he offers. Um, I think he'd be a great fit in Phoenix. I think he does a lot of the things that Saric does well but with a bit more positional size um, and a little bit more kind of defensive versatility. Um, I think, uh, you know, Olenek is a guy that shoots enough to be respected in the playoffs. You can run some pick and pop with him. Um, and uh, I think that would be a fantastic addition for the Phoenix Suns uh, should he get bought out. Um but yeah, they've got a roster spot, and I do think that should go to a big man, um, even if it's you know someone that's not that great. Just because I do think those extra fouls and those extra minutes might be required in the playoffs, and someone like a Linux is a is a really perfect fit in my opinion. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that I really like the idea of uh, a guy like a Linux playing with someone like Chris Paul. Uh, I think he's a weapon that Paul would enjoy using. Uh, and yeah, just gives him a, a bit of a different look. Um, someone who's probably a little bit more of a three-point specialist than Saric, as you said, um, and you know, a, a little bit more size at that five position. And yeah, they're, they're going to go through a gauntlet of some bigger guys um, playing in the West. Um, and having you know an additional body at the five is uh, definitely not a bad thing. And um, yeah, I've always been a big fan of Kelly Olynyk, so yeah, I think I think uh, he'd be a pretty uh, nice new Valley boy for sure. Yeah, and I think that Houston are going to be open to buyouts as long as the player is willing to, you know, maybe give a little bit back so there's something in it for them. Yeah. Uh, so they're certainly one to monitor. Uh, 
And now that, you know, we've seen Drummond take that spot in LA, I, I don't think another big man would go to the Lakers. We discussed Boogie and the Clippers potentially. Um, so I think Phoenix are primed for a buyout as one of the few teams that are definitely con- going to contend uh, that might have some minutes to offer um, a player of value as opposed to, you know, another player joining the Nets or uh, teams going to uh, LA. I-, I think that, you know, Phoenix are primed to buy to be a buyout uh, team for the right candidate. So certainly keep an eye on that. Um, we were just touching on them before, uh, but the Sacramento Kings made a bunch of small moves at the deadline. Um, we did discuss DeLon Wright in the last podcast, and he's now had a couple of outings in the Kings uniform and looked pretty good. Um, they also picked up Terrence Davis for what was essentially one second round pick. Um, there was a bit of messiness there with some protections going back and forth. And they picked up Mo Harkless and Chris Silver for Nemanja Bialica. What do you make of those trades, uh, Nick, and are any of those key pieces for the Kings moving forward? It's hard to tell, at least beyond this season. But as you said, they're certainly having a crack. Um, we, we've talked about how we thought it was a little bit maybe misguided for Sacramento to have a like sort of a, a last gasp effort to slink into the playoffs and get into this playing tournament. But I, I'm I'm probably have to eat, eat, eat my words about how Sacramento is going. That might, might change in a couple of weeks again, um, as is the way. Um, with the Kings, but yeah, they're, they're looking really good. <laughs> um, like Darren Fox has been an absolute monster of late. Um, obviously the, the latest uh, Western uh, Conference player of the week, someone who's been really, really damn good. And yeah, the, these moves are, are things that are going to not only, yeah, they probably might be future moves, but definitely helping them win now. Uh, Terrence Davis, someone who had a pretty damn good rookie campaign, obviously uh, all rookie second team, uh, last year for the Raptors hasn't played as well uh, this season as it, and seen his minutes drop. His shooting sort of come back down to earth a little bit, uh, close to thirty nine percent last year, and close to that thirty six percent mark this season. But yeah, he's looked good in Sacramento against the Spurs. He had fourteen points on four or seven shooting, three or five from deep. You know, he's he's a restricted free agent. You know, you can take a bit of a flyer on him and see how he goes as like a bench scorer. Uh, for you, and I think that yeah, that he's he's a good looking Sacramento and Mo Harkless as well. I mean, Chris Silver, I'm, I'm not sure how many minutes he's going to play again. A young big guy who hasn't played a hell of a lot in Miami, particularly this season, but yeah, Harkless is the interesting one. Obviously, uh, expiring deal, you know, provides a little bit of that three and D pop, gets some solidity. Uh, I think for a second unit that's uh didn't really have it, um, sort of can play at either, either forward spot, and yeah, I, I, I really like that that fit um, for a team that pro- it is, you know, still pretty young uh, and looking for guys who can contribute um, in sort of minimal roles behind the likes of Fox and Halliburton so, and, and healed as well. So yeah, I, the, the Kings are looking good. Uh, I, I, I like where they're at. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, we discussed it when they picked up Kevin Gale, who they eventually waived, but um, you know, I, I think Chris Silver is kind of a free crack at a, a young big guy that, uh, might have some potential, and if not, no harm done. Uh, I think they must really like Terrence Davis because, um, you know, they've given him just under 20 minutes a game so far in his couple of games in a Kings uniform. Um, we discussed this with uh, some potential Kings trades leading up to the deadline, but they need guys on the wing that can defend um, because whatever iteration of Fox, Hilton, Halliburton they go with moving forward, I mean, Fox is a good positional defender defending point guards, but he can't defend up. Uh, Hield's definitely a negative on the defensive end. And uh, while Halliburton's got the size of a smaller wing um, in height and wingspan, he is quite lean at this point. Probably isn't ready to guard, you know, the Kawhi Leonard's of the world. Um, So I think Davis gives him a free look at a restricted free agent. Uh, You know, we know the Kings aren't traditionally a free agent destination. So having restricted guys uh, is not the worst thing for them. And he certainly fits their timeline. Um, Obviously, a lot of what's happened in Sacramento has been Halliburton moving into the starting lineup, and we've sung his praises many a time on this podcast. Um, do you think this is just a bit of luck coming out of the All-Star break now, or do you think this lineup now with Bagley out, Halliburton in, and a few tweaks around the edge is uh, going to contend for that play-in spot? I do like the lineup as it is at the moment, particularly on one side of the floor. Um, their defensive rating is still... I think potentially the worst in the league. Uh, so there's 
like you're giving like San Antonio like plus like 110 points and whatnot. It's it's not great. Um, so a, as they continue to score, they're going to go up the rankings. That's going to happen. But whether they're able to keep that up uh, for a consistent enough basis for this last push of the season to get a spot, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, you did say that you know they're still needing some wing defensive help, which is what Harkless does provide. But I still I still kind of like them going with rather as as well as Hield's been going and shooting the ball and all that sort of stuff. And you know what he can provide you on the offensive end. That's fine. But I still think this 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 team is going to be better suited going forward with a really like defensive-minded wing player at the three. Um, someone who can definitely knock down threes and, you know, give you that offensive spacing. But, you know, you, you guys like, you know, you like your Robert Covington, um, you know, like Danny Green, those sort of guys, not those players specifically, but that type of player who's, you know, very plug and play and can slot in there. It's just, it, that's going to be a very tricky player for Sacramento to get, particularly on the older scale. You know, as we said, they're not the biggest free agent destination going around, particularly in California. So it's it's a tricky one to get. But yeah, I, I think the lineup wise, I mean, like Holmes is still balling out, still doing really well. Barnes is had, having a super underrated season. Fox obviously has been a monster of late. And Halliburton starting now is something obviously that Sacramento have been crying, fans have been crying out for all year. And yeah, you're certainly starting to see, you know, some immediate results, but I think beyond this season, you're starting to see a little bit more. It's just going to be really interesting to see how Bagley fits back into things. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think what will be interesting as well, uh, it will be if they do make the play in game, potentially even if they could find a way to sneak into the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see with uh with the guys like Fox um and uh and Heald and Halliburton who all have some deficiencies in their game, uh, if they were to get some exposure to the postseason, I say the postseason loosely referring to the playing game, you know, how does someone like De'Aaron Fox go with teams going under every single screen? Um, how does Buddy Heald go when he's getting bought into switches to get attacked defensively? Um you know, this will be uh, hopefully the chance of the Kings to get some experience at that level. Um, but we'll have to wait and see as far as what the next couple of weeks hold for them and how that uh, affects their decisions moving forward. Moving uh, moving to the Bay Area, um, you discussed before the deadline, you said to me that you wanted the Warriors to keep things fairly, fairly quiet. Um, and fairly quiet they did. They made some moves around the fringes, uh, which will uh, will help their tax situation. Uh, they traded Wanamaker um, for, and some cash considerations for essentially nothing. A very heavily protected pick, from my understanding. Uh, and Marquise, Chris, and uh, and Cash for the draft rights to Katie Lalane, who I don't think will be playing in a Warriors uniform. Um, what did you make of the Warriors did at the deadline and uh, how things are situated there in the Bay? Uh, I think they did the right thing, uh, getting Wanamaker to a situation where he's a going to play uh, and sort of provide a little bit of help. I, I, he's not going to play a hell of a lot in Charlotte, but you know, with Lamelo out, uh, Devontae Graham in that starting lineup, having another backup point guard is probably not the worst thing for the Hornets at the moment. Um, you know, as they're continuing to play some pretty handy basketball, you know, looking like they'll uh, get a playoff spot, and you know have a bit of a crack there, see what happens uh, in this new era of Hornets basketball. Um, it just one maker wasn't really fitting in. Uh, it was a big shame um, as someone who I really liked as a, you know, just a, a low key cheap signing um, over the off season, someone who could, you know, steady the bench and particularly of younger players, but it's been the younger players who have been the steadier presences. Um, you know, guys like Nico Mannion and Jordan Poole after they've come up from the G league, have played really fantastically and have excited a lot of Warriors fans as well. And it's just, yeah, that move was on the cards and it wasn't really too much of a surprise. Um, Marquez Chris is probably a name that a lot of people forgot he was on the Warriors considering he hasn't really played. Um, obviously, uh, breaking his foot uh, and he's very unlikely to come back before the, the end of the season. Um, I think he's still trying, but I'd, I'd be surprised and I'd you know, almost say that it's probably not the best thing for his health. Um, although he probably does want to show that he can get a a run and do some stuff at the moment. It's a shame because Keith, um showed a lot, I think, in his last season with the Warriors. Um, obviously, the Warriors didn't win a lot of games, you know, with so many injuries and and that whole that whole change after Durant left. But Chris was someone who I, who really surprised a lot of people. Um, 
you know, average career highs in scoring, rebounding, and blocks per game. Someone who fit in really well, and someone who I, I was genuinely excited to see potentially as like a starting center. Um, you know, with the likes of Thompson and Curry running around um, back in Warriors uniform. So, you know, the, the, the Dubs could still potentially get him uh, next season, um, and you know, sign him to a cheap deal and and see what happens there. Um, but yeah, they needed to clear some roster spots. Um, but who those roster spots are for, um, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think I, I agree with you that Marquise Chris, you know, probably had the best stint of his career in Golden State when he was healthy. Um, even showed a little bit of potential, maybe stretch the floor out. All things going well, as well. Um, and Watermaker, I think you're spot on. Um, he gives the Hornets a bit of professional competence and Lamelo insurance for that injury, um, as they look like they'll, you know, give it a crack in the East there. Um, even if it's not going to be going deep, I, I respect both franchises for that move. I think it's a win-win. Um, and uh, you know, I, the Warriors did what they had to do to uh, to clear out some roster spots and, and cut the bill down a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, the Spurs and the Hornets were both willing trade partners in that scenario. So I don't really think there's anything to overanalyze as far as that situation is uh, is concerned. But something I would like to hit on, though, um, that's been going around the news recently is uh, this idea that perhaps LeBron James is working hard to recruit Steph Curry um, in some sort of future plan moving forward for what I would have to guess would be the Los Angeles Lakers, given LeBron's recent extension. Uh, what's your opinion on that as a Warriors fan, Nick? Because uh, I certainly uh, feel physically ill at the thought of uh, Steph Curry in a Lakers uniform. <laughs> Sorry, I was just choking on my own vomit there. Um, it's something that is very unappealing with my Golden State jersey on. It's also very unappealing with my Golden State jersey off. Um, yeah, it, when I saw that get bandied about, I, and particularly by the reporter who... <laughs> who uh, discussed that rumor about, you know, guys playing together in the all-star game. You know, we see that every year. Um, sometimes it has like a little bit of legs. We saw, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, sort of Kyrie and Durant having a, you know, a bit of a chat in the tunnel. Um, and obviously they ended up playing together. Um, you know, the, the amount of times that, that Steph Curry lobbed to Giannis in the all-star game is like, nah, they're playing together. It's just like, yeah, they're making uh, mountains out of molehills. Um, and yeah, that, the, the journalist who mentioned this um, said that, you know, I think not even a year ago, I think it might have been a year ago, uh, that LeBron like disliked Steph Curry. Like, so it's, that stuff is just like really like, you know, yeah, I don't know, it's just a frustrating thing that, that's been brought up. I don't understand it, but you know, if, if it was going to happen, like, I, I see the Warriors, like, in a better draft position in a few years. What if they draft Bronny and they try and work out for, you know, LeBron to play that last year that he wants to play so badly um, with his son? Just just come across and, uh, and come across to the Bay. And, uh, you know, we get Bronny and Steph and LeBron running around. I think that'd be pretty fun. I... Uh... Firstly, I think there'll be several teams that will have this interest of drafting LeBron James Jr. out of trying to call LeBron's bluff there, although mm. I'm sure Rich Paul will do everything he absolutely possibly can to make sure that uh, Bronny ends up in a location that's favourable for him. Um, as someone that has really no horse in this race, um, I uh, I personally think that, you know, obviously LeBron and Steph formed one of the greatest rivalries of the 2010s. Uh, there might be another chapter still to write over the coming years um, for their current teams. I don't ever want to see them play together in a serious sense. Uh, All-star games are fun, um, but I prefer when rivals stay on, on other sides of the fence. Um, and, uh, and quite frankly, look, if that, uh, if that does happen, if, uh, if the Warriors can pick up LeBron James Jr., um, then it would certainly be worth a, a bit of a laugh. But I like a... I like my uh, some of my best players in the league remaining on separate teams where possible, particularly if they've been involved in such heated rivalries um, like those two have over the years. And and yeah, I, I just think that there's a there's this motive out there and this this uh, LeBron James rumor mill of, of always trying to push stars kind of into the web 
But I like those two playing on separate teams and hopefully they haven't had their last playoff matchup and we'll get to have another look in, a, in the years to come. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. It's a rivalry that's defined a decade, or the best part of a decade. That, and I just, yeah, that the idea of those two playing together is just, I think, in terms of a basketball sense, hell yeah, like that, they look, they'd be fantastic together. And I know they'd like, they could do for each other on the basketball court. But yeah, I, I just don't see it. There's, there's players who I could see joining up with LeBron and I, I and, I honestly think that Curry is going to be like one of the last guys potentially who's a one team player. I he's the one he's the one of the guys in the NBA who I've never seen moving um at all, you know. Yeah, it it, it it's one move like all Golden State bias aside, I'd be just so puzzled to see him move franchises. It would just be yeah, wouldn't sit right with me. And I think a lot of people have that affinity for Steph. Um, as someone who is, you know, kind of embodies a franchise and to a degree a city. Um, and yeah, uh, as, as, as much as the, the rumor mill's bending about, I, yeah, just, the idea of those two together, yeah, doesn't sit with me. Yeah, and I think uh, as someone that obviously doesn't support Golden State, but I, I would like to see him finish his career there as well. Because, well, I mean, look, what he does in his last, you know, 18 months or whatever it is when he's, when he's you know, 10th man, Shooter Steph Curry, if he gets that far, that doesn't fuss me. But I'd like to see him at least finish his prime in Golden State because, you know, what does it say if he, of all people, couldn't finish his career there? Um, you know, I think we all like to think that when we draft a, a good young player that, you know, blossoms into a superstar, that if everything falls right, that they might retire there, um, like Dirk did with Dallas, like Kobe did with the Lakers. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly think it's... Um, upsetting at the thought that, you know, he would move uh, not only, you know, away from Golden State, but to a uh, an interdivisional rival. Um, but I, I think that's a conversation for another time because I don't think that would be happening anytime soon, even if it did, Nick. So we might leave it there. Um, and uh, we'll touch base next week because this time next week, we might be starting to have some serious conversations about where these Pacific Division teams are going to be seated mm-hmm. um, as we wind up to the pointy end of the season. No, it's it's going to be an interesting uh, last little sprint for the end of the season, uh, particularly with how well uh, these Pacific d- Division teams are placed. And I think, yeah, things are going to move around a little bit and it's going to be interesting to watch. Very defining week coming up. All right, well, I'll uh, thank you for listening in and I'll chat to you next week, Nick. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, listeners.